Well, welcome to our families here for Family Weekend. It's nice to see so many of you here. Um, it seems like we still have some people in the back. If, like, you don't mind just scooching in or something to make room at the ends of the pews in case you have any extra seats. We can get the few standing up in here. It's great to have you all here. Uh, I'm Father Connor. I'm the chaplain here at the Newman Center here at UIC. Uh, it's my great pleasure to minister every day to the students here um, at the university and to... Uh, help shepherd them in the faith and to uh, learn from them as they learn from us uh, to be the presence of the Catholic Church in the midst of um, a secular university. I myself was, uh, went to a secular university. I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign and was uh, very involved in my Newman Center down there. And I know that it can be kind of a home away from home, whether you're a commuter or whether you live on campus, um, to have a place that you can call your spiritual home, your spiritual family. That's what Newman is supposed to be. So I'm glad you're here. And you're all welcome to brunch afterwards. Uh, our campus minister, Becca Sire, along with our focus missionaries, have been working very hard all morning, preparing pancakes and eggs and bacon and everything. So uh, thank you for coming. Uh, to change the subject a little bit, Cardinal George, who used to be uh, the archbishop here before he died a few years ago uh, here in Chicago, had a very direct way of speaking. Some people admired him for that. Some people kind of didn't like it so much. He had a, a way of telling the truth and not sugarcoating it. And there's a famous story of him at a benefit once for some charity. It might have been Catholic Charities. But something that benefited the poor. And there were a lot of very rich people there. And he said to them, after thanking them for their generosity and making their donations to keep these programs going that help the disadvantaged, he said, you know, it's true that the poor need you to stay out of poverty. But it's also true that you need the poor to stay out of hell. (laughs) which kind of caught everybody off guard. But when you read the Gospels, uh, it's true. There's a a saying, I think it might have been C.S. Lewis or Chesterton, who said that um, a lot of people want to get rid of the doctrine of hell because it's so uncomfortable. Like, that seems cruel that God would send people to hell. Well, we don't believe that God sends people to hell. It's a choice we make if we want to live alienated from God for all eternity. Hell does exist. God will respect that choice. But the idea that it just doesn't exist because it's not nice or, or um, doesn't sound good to my ears, we can't get away from it because it's in the Bible. And the person who refers to it the most is Jesus. But whenever, you know, if you notice when Jesus references hell, or he calls it Gehenna, or the wailing and gnashing of teeth, or in here in this parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the eternal fire, what does it have to do with? Almost always... It's not sins of the flesh. It's not sins of, uh, you know, speech necessarily or, or things that we do with our bodies or our, our minds. It's, it's almost always mistreatment of the poor. It's always a sin of omission. Like Matthew 25, the, the sheep and the goats at the end of time being judged, separated. Whatever you did for the least of my brethren, you did for me. Whatever you did not do for the least of my brethren, you did not do for me. Clothe the, the naked feed the hungry, visit the imprisoned. These are the things that seem like the highest stakes, at least in the scriptures, at least according to the Lord himself, that it matters. And there might be a time when it's too late, like it was for the rich man in this parable today, where you can't take back the fact that you saw suffering around you and you did nothing about it. We need the poor, we who are comfortable or secure, Notice that in the scriptures, it's, it's never 
a problem to be too weak or too poor or even too, too sinful. Jesus has a lot of time for prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners who are repentant, who acknowledge their weakness, who beat their breasts and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. What's dangerous is security, feeling puffed up, like I'm doing everything right, actually. I think God, I'm doing God a lot of favors. That sort of attitude, where you're comfortable in your own self-righteousness, is when we're in danger. So it's easy to feel the guilt trip, right? When we read a, a, a reading like this, where Lazarus is suffering all his life long, ignored by the rich man while he dines sumptuously, dressed in fine garments and in a big house. Well, we know that there's poor people all around us. There's always someone, no matter how hard we have it, there's always someone who has it harder. I remember when I was in seminary, a lot of seminarians would complain about not having enough money because we had to buy our own books and we got this tiny little stipend. But we didn't have to pay tuition and they gave us room and board, you know, because we were studying to be priests and theoretically giving our lives away to Christ. So a lot was provided for us, although we didn't have a lot of spending cash. And guys would complain about this all the time. Oh, I have no money. I have no money. Well, this group came up uh, from a a neighborhood where we knew some sisters who who ministered to this neighborhood, and it was a a poorer neighborhood in Chicago. And they came up to visit us at the seminary, and uh, they had lunch with us, and they ate the normal lunch in the normal cafeteria that we eat every day. And we met them and, and shared with them. And months later, some seminarians were down in that neighborhood at the convent visiting those same people in that same neighborhood. They said, oh, yeah, I remember when you came up and visited us at the seminary. And one of the ladies said, oh, yeah, you guys were having a buffet that day. (laughs) And the seminarian felt bad because he goes, oh, we have that every day. (laughs) We have a buffet every single day. But you don't see it. A lot of times we don't see how much we have in comparison to the people around us. And it's understandable. It's human nature to just fall into complacency, into our security. I don't know about you, but it's, it's easy when you run up against suffering or poverty, especially poverty that you can't even imagine having experienced yourself. I was down at the border a few weeks ago um, visiting some of the missions that Catholic Extension has to the, the migrants and the refugees and the, the people who have been deported or trying to cross the border um, that are fleeing from their homes, many from Central America, from gang violence and all sorts of terrible things happening, grinding poverty. And I was sitting across from a man who not 12 hours before had been kidnapped by drug cartels, sold to another group of uh, mafiosa, and then had escaped in the middle of the night when in the abandoned house where he was held kidnapped, sequestered with like three or four other people, him and his 16-year-old son had escaped while the kidnappers were distracted. And there he was sitting in this convent in this home for refugees, not knowing what to do, whether he was going to go back to Honduras or, or what. But I'd never met someone who had encountered such poverty. And the reaction we normally have, I think, is fear and guilt. Like when a homeless person comes up to you on the street, it's, it's immediate discomfort. Is this person going to take advantage of me or manipulate me or lie to me? Or, or what is my duty here? Do I have a responsibility? Because I do have some cash. I could give it away, but I don't want to. And, So a lot of times we just end up doing nothing. There was, at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, a man named Pier Giorgio Frizzati, who was from Turin, Italy. And at 17 years old, uh, he became a member of the St. Vincent de Paul Society, which meant he served the poor every day in in his city. 
He also was a lay Dominican, which meant that he had permission to go to communion every day. And in those days, it was not common for lay people to go to communion every single day. But he would go to daily mass every morning, receive communion, and then at night, after his day's work and after his studies and after his service to the poor, he would go all night to, to do Eucharistic adoration on into the middle of the night and then go home. He was so generous with the poor that what little he had as a student, he would give away his bus fare, for instance, to someone who needed it, and then run home to make it home for dinner. His family was actually very wealthy. His father was a senator in Italy. He also founded and owned a a very prominent newspaper. Uh, His mother was an artist, a known artist. And his parents didn't know any of this stuff that he was doing. He kind of kept it secret a little bit. And in his travels, he would go visit the poor. He would uh, make sure that people had what they needed as part of his work with the St. Vincent de Paul Society. And at 24, contracted polio. And they believed it was because of the people that he was in, working with, often in difficult conditions, unsanitary, etc. And he died at 24. And in Turin, Italy, there's pictures of this, of his funeral. That in the streets of Turin, there were tens of thousands of people who came out all of whom knew Pier Giorgio Frazzati as the generous young man who cared about everyone, who saw the poor and went to them and became friends with them. And his parents were like, who are all these people? They had no idea the effect that he'd had in the world. One man, 24 years old, for seven years just loved the Lord, went to Mass and served the poor, saw the need around him, and was not afraid, was not paralyzed by guilt, but just did what he could. And all these people came out to pay their respects, to say goodbye to this man. You know, there's this saying in business, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Have you ever heard that? It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's all about networking, right? You've got to know the right people. It's important to be good at your job, but even more so, to know the right people to advance your career. Notice that in this parable, that the rich man has no name. Jesus did not name the rich man. He's just rich. You know, I'm sure in this world, a man like that would have had a name. People would have known who he was because he could make things happen. He was an important person to know. But in heaven, no name. But Lazarus does. Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham in heaven, receiving comfort in joy on, on, on the good side of the chasm up in heaven in the kingdom. And he has a name. He's somebody. On earth, he was nobody. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Because in the kingdom of God, as Jesus says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. We don't have to fix poverty. I mean, we have to work for justice. We have, as Christians, to have that effect in the world. But me individually, you individually, we can't fix all the poverty, all the injustice in the world. But we can choose to see it. We can choose not to step over the Lazarus on our doorstep. We can be like Pier Giorgio Frazzati and not be afraid, not paralyzed by guilt, But learn these people's names. Learn the name of my brother and sister in need and to do something. Because we want to know the right people. We want those tens of thousands of people up there in the kingdom of heaven waiting, knowing our name, saying, he helped me, she helped me, she's my friend, let her in.